All right, one more time, how we doing at the 10.30? We good, ready to go? My name's Bryant, lead pastor. Glad you're with us. Whether you are investigating faith, not sure if you have any, uh, or you're looking to grow in your faith, we are glad you are with us today. And I want to point your attention, as if you don't know already, toward our Christmas Eve services coming up. We've got normal service times in the morning, um, two weeks from now on a Sunday, and then we actually have three uh, afternoon and evening times full child care in the morning, and then up to four years old in the three afternoon services. Uh, there's going to be well over 1,000 to 1,500 just at this campus, not to include our Wesley Chapel campus. It's going to be an incredible weekend. And I just want to remind you one more time, and you're going to get tired of hearing me do this this week and next week, but to just pray for 30 seconds of courage and to invite somebody. So there's a card on your chair somewhere around you. You're going to get uh, an invite on the way out that you can share with somebody in your neighborhood or wherever else. You can pick up a yard sign. But I just want to encourage you to invite somebody because we say a lot around here about invest and invite. Like God has placed you where he's placed you as a follower of Jesus to invest in the lives around you. That's a coworker. That's a friend. That's a neighbor. That's somebody who lives in your home. That's your mother-in-law that you're not looking forward to visiting, but you need to invest. It's the person in the boardroom. And investing, man, is what we're about as followers of Jesus. And then inviting is a huge thing because for many of you, you experience your view of the church or Jesus or this whole faith thing being turned upside down because somebody didn't just invest in you, but they invited you to experience what they had experienced. And here's what we believe in. This is something I heard years ago is that Jesus makes our life better and he makes us better at life. Not that it's going to be pain-free, problem-free, but it's just better as we follow Jesus. And we also believe that hope and life and forgiveness is found in him and him alone. So all that to say, this is an incredible time of year. People are going to be open to attend more than any other time of year, rivaling Easter. And you have been placed around some people in your life for a reason. And I just want to share this last thing, and then we'll dive into part two, is this last Thursday, we had a memorial service for a lady by the name of Tammy Bryant, 35 years old, and she unexpectedly passed away several weeks ago. And she was a part of our First Impressions team, and it was um, moving and just incredible to hear the stories of those, even within our gathering, had invested in her life and the impact that she had on others. And several shared a story that we remember, and that is when she was invited uh, for the first time, and I, you know, I don't know everybody who attends, obviously, but I got um, personally introduced to her, and we were praying for her, and we talked about the fact that we'll never forget the Sunday that she was attending, and I think she was on the right side in one of our services, and we gave the invitation for people to place their faith and trust in Christ. She placed her faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And on Thursday, man, there was, um, there's always pain and there's tears and there's loss among people who um, know them well. And she was a part of our CC family. But I'm telling you, um, it's not the same when there is the hope that the best really was yet to come for her. And she is as alive in this moment as we are because of her faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And so we believe, man, God has the opportunity and power to alter eternities forever. And so let's be bold, seriously. If you're not a Jesus follower and you're like, this is what annoys me about Jesus followers, that's fine. Um, just ignore this. But if you're a Jesus follower, if you're part of our gathering, let's be bold. Let's be courageous. Invite somebody. Sacrifice a little bit to be here a service or two. I, may, I, may, I know you may have to rearrange some plans, but what God might do in the people around you, no hyperbole to say could change and alter their eternity forever. So let's do that. So would you guys stand with me real quick? And I want to do what I did last week. And you just have to bear with me because I just feel this so much. Um, I want to give you 30 seconds. Just pray for that person or those people that God's placed in your sphere of influence. And this is, this is the time. And I want you to step out. And um, I want to see what God does. And so all over the house, if you just bow your heads, close your eyes, I want to give you 30 seconds. And I'm going to close out and pray to right now pray for those individuals. God, I thank you so much that we have the privilege of gathering together right now. And Lord, I thank you um, that even in this house, it's a diverse crowd. There's people in here today that they don't even know what they believe about Jesus or, or they do. And Lord, the place that they're at right now is 
a lot of difficulty embracing who you are. And Lord, I thank you that they're here today. I thank you that they're honest enough to investigate. I thank you that this is a safe place. And there's a bunch of people here today who, Lord, they started, began a relationship with Jesus a long time ago. And Lord, I just pray that we would not lose a heart, a compassion, an angst for people who have never experienced what we've experienced. And Lord, we understand that we are not better. We are as dysfunctional and jacked up as anybody, but we are forgiven and we've experienced life through a Savior whose name is Jesus. And Lord, we want to be a church that is all about the city and introducing other people to that message. And so I pray that where we are complacent, you would move us out of complacency. I pray that where we are apathetic, you would stir emotion for this incredible message of grace. And Lord, where we are scared and fearful, you would give us courage. But God, move us in the direction of people who you love and you have called us to love, regardless of whether they believe what we believe because they're made in the image of God, but to love and lead them toward the love and grace that is only found in Jesus Christ. So do your thing. And Lord, I pray even before we get there in these next two weeks, as we give out invites and Lord, share things and text friends and neighbors that in this moment right here, you would change and alter some eternities forever. And God, you would do what could only be characterized as God. And so we ask and we anticipate and we looked expectantly over these next few minutes for what's about to take place. And we pray this and we want to give the glory and thanks to Jesus for what he has done and what he will do. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated all over the house. Glad you're with us. We are in part two of the series called A Simple Christmas. And here's what we said last week is Christmas is complicated. Like, even if you love Christmas, and I love Christmas, it's complicated. It's complicated if you have kids. It's awesome, but it's complicated. There's 900 things to do. There's Christmas parties that you don't want to attend, but you're obligated to attend. Um, there's awkward Christmas parties for me, like my neighborhood party last night because I'm a pastor, and so I've got to try to figure out how to not reveal to other people I'm a pastor without lying because they immediately get awkward, like, ah, oh, some eggnog, and they never come back. So I kind of landed on... Um, a, uh, what, what I, I, I'm a, a teacher of life skills for a nonprofit, so that's, that's kind of what I landed on. So as long as I can push that off and people don't know, but there's all that, it's, it's complicated um, in terms of like where are you going to go and deciding that whole family thing and do I visit them, do we not visit them, if there's divorces on a couple sides of, of your relationships, that's tough to navigate. And time is compressed and so we deal with these things all the time, but it's like we're faced with them at a different level around this season. And so it's awesome, it's great, but it's complicated. And here's the thing, as I was thinking about this, this season can really be awesome. It can really be great, but not because for a lot of us, what is happening, but because of what has happened. Like what is happening for a lot of us, if we were to just really be straight, what's happening is we are more aware of problems that we can't solve than ever before. Like there's some things that you're just carrying and you know there's no decision that's going to make it go away. For others of us, we're reminded of people we can't control. For others of us, we are reminded of expectations that we're not going to be able to live up to. And so it's awesome, but it may not be awesome because of what's happening. It's awesome because of what has happened. And here's the thing, here's the message of Christmas, here's the reality, is despite the complication and the chaos and the craziness, there is the offer and the availability for you and I to experience peace. Like even if you haven't been around the church, you've You've heard the account of the angels when they split open the sky. If nothing else, you watched Charlie Brown at some point. And they said these powerful words in Luke chapter 2, verse 11. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. And he is, he is the Messiah of the Lord. And then verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And so if I had to summarize the whole message of Christmas, like here would be the deal. It, it's all complicated, but the message of Christmas, what is offered at Christmas, shouldn't be complicated. And if I had to dial it down to three words, this would be it, love, peace, and power. Love, peace, and power. And last week, we introduced the series saying this, that when Jesus was born in a manger, he literally and figuratively birthed something brand new on planet Earth. 
that no longer would there be this religious system where we don't really understand God, we don't know where we stand with God, we don't know what sin is, it's all ambiguous, it's a little ethereal, it's a little out there. Instead, God narrowed it all down to say, listen, once you place your faith and trust in me, this whole movement, this whole following Jesus thing, this whole idea that was introduced through the life of Jesus who was born in a manger, it is all about one virtue, one ethic, one word that has the power to change everything. And that word is love. That if you want to know where you're at with God, you just need to look around to the people who are your right, your left, before you, behind you. And no longer is sin a mystery. Sin is, if it's not best for them, it's a sin. A relationship with God, not salvation, is determined no longer by a list of eight or nine or 10 or 11 things. If you want to know where you're at in your relationship with God, just look at where you're at with relationship with other people around you. That as you love God the way God's loved you, as you forgive the way God's forgiven you, as you move toward the marginalized the way God has done for all of us, when you extend grace the way God's extended grace to you, that is the essence of the movement of Jesus. And he came at Christmas and then lived a life to summarize the fact that it's all been boiled down really to one question, my paraphrase, what does love demand of me? In every situation, in every circumstance, in every season of your life, with your mother-in-law, with the guys in the boardroom, the guy that you're partnering with, the PTA that you're involved in, okay, what does love demand of me? And I don't even need a verse. I just know that I am to do for others what God has done for me. And this is religion. Religion is no longer just the vertical, what I'm doing for God. God goes, no, no, now I've changed it. If you want to love me, your indication of love for me is how you love other people around you. That's the whole essence of this movement. And it is not complicated, but it is demanding. And then here's where I want to go today in these three words that I would summarize Christmas, and there's more than this, but this is just my simple summarizing, that for you to ever move in the direction to embrace what this whole following Jesus thing is about, you, you, you will never be able to do that. You will never be able to answer this question. You will never be able to move in the direction of other people to do what God has called you to do until you experience peace. And here's what I mean, that really as we talk about peace, and this is unveiled in the scripture, there's really three levels of peace. There's peace that starts with God, and then there's peace with yourself that ultimately is the catalyst to be able to have peace with other people, to be able to love other people around you. In fact, here's what I said in my notes, is that peace with God opens the door for you to be able to have peace with yourself, and it is the catalyst for you to be able to have peace, to love other people around you. And so let me, let me explain for a second, that when you ever move to a place to experience peace with God, it does open the door for you to be able to have peace with yourself. Now, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but here's what I know about some of us in this room, or if you're online right now, is, is we're in a place right now, man, we're just wrestling there's all kind of stuff going on. There, there's things that we can't quiet. There is angst that we can't seem to shut up. And, and we point to everything peripheral or circumstantial that's going on around us. And really our issue is because we've never experienced peace with God, we don't have peace with ourselves. Like as long as you are dragging around baggage from your past, you don't have peace with you. As long as you are at a place where you've never made peace with God, it means you've never made peace with your past and you've never made peace with yourself. You've never come to a place to experience what the scripture calls the good news, that because God through Christ has forgiven you, you can forgive yourself. For you to be awakened to the reality that because God through Christ, if you place your faith and trust in him, is not holding your sins and your past against you, you don't have to hold your sins and your past against you. You have been invited into freedom. And until you experience peace with God, you're never going to be able to experience peace with, peace with yourself. And you're never going to be able to experience peace with others. See, what we talked about last week of what is love demand? What, God, what is God calling you to do? Who is God calling you toward? You will never be able, be able to embrace moving in that direction and obeying in that way as long as you are not at peace with God and as long as you are not at peace with yourself. Until you experience peace, you will not be able to live out what is the essence of what God has called us to do and really is the epicenter of the byproduct of Christmas. It's why Jesus came. So what I want to talk about for a couple minutes 
is peace with God. Now, when I talk about peace with God, here's what it infers is that there is a conflict. There is something that is wrong and it needs to be reconciled, right? If there's not peace, it means that there is conflict. And here's what the scripture teaches, and hang with me for a second, okay? Because this first part, you're like, oh, I've heard this. I'm going to get to you, um, and it will be convicting. So just hang on for a second, okay? Peace with God basically um, says that there's a conflict at two two levels. There's the conflict of sin at a macro universal level, and then there is the conflict that is your sin. So basically, for us to have peace with God, those two things have got to be taken care of. There is peace at a big universal level that is just sin, and then there is the issue of your sin. So let me explain it this way. Let me deal with huge macro level universal sin first. Okay, I was born in the United States of America, not a surprise. And I was born in the United States of America, and that is unfair, but it's true. It's unfair in the sense of I didn't get to choose it. I wasn't in on that decision-making process. I had no hand in it. It just happened. Now, this is something that's really interesting that I'll I'll come back to at a later date, but something can be untrue um, or unfair and true at the same time. Like just because something is unfair doesn't mean it's not true. You experience it every day. There are things that you didn't have a hand in. They're unfair, but they're also true. So I was born in the United States of America. I had no say in it. And there are the benefits and the consequences of being born in the United States of America. I love this country as jacked up as it is. There's tons of benefits. There's so many things that I'm grateful for, but there's also consequences. Like one of the consequences of me being born in the United States of America is I only speak one language. And that's the case for a lot of you too. And so recently when I went to Guatemala, uh, you just feel like an idiot all the time. Like everybody speaks multiple languages. And then I started feeling secure where I'm at dinner or lunch with different people or a group of pastors and they all start talking. And I'm like, I'm assured that they're talking about me, but I don't understand what they're saying. And so it really produces angst in me. I've, I need to I need to pursue this. I need to at least be bilingual. Um, when you go to other countries, you just, you just feel like an idiot. So that's one of the byproducts of the fact that I was born in the United States. There's benefits and there are consequences. So here's my point in this. As you go to the New Testament, which is like Matthew on the back, like one third of the scriptures, if you've got a physical copy, all throughout the New Testament, it talks about this reality that you were born, every single one of you, into the nation, if you want to look at it that way, the nation of sin. You were born into the kingdom, uh, as Paul described it, the kingdom of darkness. But you were born into the nation of sin, and you had nothing to do with it. It's unfair. You didn't choose it at a macro, universal level. You didn't do anything to bring it about, but it, it just is. And it's unfair, but it's true. You were born into the nation of sin. And if you're not sure, just ask somebody around you. Like, everybody agrees that you were born into the nation of sin, even if they don't believe God or even if they have different language for it, if you wanna know, man, is there any idiosyncrasies or dysfunction in me? Just ask somebody close to you, right? And they'll tell you, like people around you know. And so the reality just from human experience and from the scripture is we were born into the nation of sin. Paul explains it this way, and Paul's great for like linear thinkers just to break this down. And here's what he says, Romans 5, 12, and this is so powerful. He says, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, which says that there was a time in the world where there was not sin, there was not dysfunction. It was universal flourishing, universal wholeness. And then one man who had the power to choose and chose for you, it's unfair, but it's true, sin entered the world and it messed up, it jacked up, and it created a divide for every single individual between themselves and God. And so Paul says, just as sin entered the world through one man whose name was Adam and death through sin. Now, here's the thing about sin that, again, intuitively, you've never had to be in church to know this. Sin kills things. Or use your own term. Dysfunction, bad choices, kills things. For some of you, because of your sin, you've killed a relationship. For some of you, because of a decision you made or something that you've opted for, you killed a career. For others of us, we've killed part of our physical body because of something that we chased after. Like for some of us, this is how real this is. We've killed a relationship with ourselves 
Like we can't relate to us. We have trouble with us. We have trouble reconciling what's gone on or what has gone on in us. But here's what Paul says and what is throughout the New Testament is that sin ultimately leads to death. It leads to spiritual death, ultimately leads to physical death, but sin always leads to death. But just at a practical day-to-day level, it kills things, relationships, careers, our relationship with ourself. And so Paul says, death came through sin and in this way, death came to how many people? All people. The reason that you know that you are a sinner, and this may be a little offensive, but let me just go strong for a second. The reason you know you're a sinner is you're going to die. That is the evidence that there is something wrong on planet earth. And Paul says, death came to all people because all have sinned. And this isn't your particular sin. It's just sin. You are a sinner, not because of what you do, but who you are. You were born into the nation of sin. My best example is my kids. When my little girl who was three years old, she wasn't even three. I take that back. She was like a year and a half, lied to me for the first time. It's like, there's a sin nature. Like I didn't even teach her that. And I'll never forget, she threw a fit, threw herself on the floor, and then quickly picked herself back up to act like that she just tripped and just started to lie to me. And I thought, it took you a year and a half to be able to do that and try to manipulate me and lie to me? You are evil and you need Jesus, <laughs> right? So we, ju- we just have all, ex- and then I had two boys and it only gets worse. It's like the... The sin nature is at a different level. It's, it's crazy. So all, all, like all of us know this intuitively, and that's an offensive. You should just think about that for a second. And so Paul's like, listen, death's coming for everybody because you were, we were born into the nation of sin. In old school, this is how they used to kind of picture this, if you've ever seen this before. They used to have these things called tracks back in the day, and it would have this on one side where it would represent people who are born into the, if you call it this, the nation of sin or or the kingdom of sin, or the kingdom of darkness, and then it represented God and this kingdom of his son, Jesus. And then traditionally, you'd put a really lame cross across here that I just did not want to do um, to, to talk about bridging the gap, but this was kind of the deal. They used to be on tracks, and on the outside of the track was, it looked like a dollar bill, because the best way to introduce somebody to Jesus is to lie to them and deceive them, so we thought that was a good idea. So anyway, all right, I got to keep going. I don't know what my problem is at the 1030. So... Um, <laughs> So this represented it all. And so here's, here's what the scripture unpacks or, or unveils is that every single one of us are born into this nation. There is a gulf between us and relationship with God. Something has to be reconciled. But because we were born into the nation of sin, you cannot act your way out of it. You cannot behave your way out of it. Just like if I learn a different language, it doesn't make me someone who was born in that nation right? I can't just learn the language and suddenly be from there. I can't act like they do and suddenly be from there. And the same is true in terms of this cosmic divide between human beings and God is that there is nothing we can do to behave our way out of the nation that we were born into, just like we didn't behave our way into it. We were just born into it. We were born into the nation of sin with all that that entails. And it's not fair, but it's true. And so the scripture teaches this, that God through Jesus coming to planet earth at Christmas is the one who has bridged the gap and offered an invitation that if you would move in his direction to place your faith and your trust in what he's done and not what you can do, that you move from the kingdom or the nation of sin into the kingdom or the nation of God's son through Jesus, where you have a relationship with the God of the universe. But literally, you have to be, and here's where this word comes from that ultimately is, is kind of misused and has bad connotation, but you have to be born again. And that word has the idea of you were born into a nation that you did not choose, and so you have to be reborn into another nation. It was Nicodemus with Jesus, like, what do I need to, be, what do I need to do to be born again? What does that mean? Do I have to go back in my mother's womb? And Jesus is like, that's disgusting. That's not what I'm talking about. You need to put, he didn't say that, but he thought it. You need to place your faith and trust in what God has done for you to be reborn, to have a new passport, to be at a place where you have a right standing with God, that literally you are born into a new kingdom kingdom and a new nation that is characterized by relationship with the God of the universe through Jesus. Here's, here's how Paul says it in Colossians. I love this. Stick with me. For he has rescued us from the dominion, literally the nation, 
or the kingdom of darkness, and he has brought us into the kingdom of the son that he loves. That's Jesus. That literally, Paul's like, God wants to rescue you, and that's what it takes from the kingdom and the nation of darkness and move you into the kingdom of his son, Jesus, but it is not going to happen through your behavior. You can't behave your way into being born in a new nation. You have to be reborn. And then Paul says this, he comes along in Romans 5.1 under this umbrella of macro sin and says this, therefore, since we, since we have been justified. And as Paul's writing this, he's not like us, we. He's talking about first century followers of Jesus, and he's writing to them in these different locations, specifically in Rome. And they're inevitably going, we, Paul, you don't even know us. You haven't even visited our church yet. We've never even had a conversation. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what my marriage is like. You don't know what I'm dragging around from my past. You don't know what I've even thought in my head. You don't know what I would do if I could get away with it. You don't know anything about me. And Paul's like, shh, I don't need to because this isn't on the basis of what you've done. This isn't on the basis of your behavior. This isn't on the basis of a decision that you make other than your decision to say yes. You can't behave your way into this. You can't act your way into this. You can't learn the language your way into this. It is all on the basis of what Jesus has done for you. So it's why I can write to to you, we first century, and we 2,000 years later, and say, if you place your faith and trust in Christ, you have been justified because it's through faith. You have been declared right with God, and so, this is so powerful, we have peace with God through our, I don't know where we come up with this, really good works, because I got it together, because morally the trend line is up and to the right. And Paul's like, no, you cannot behave your way out of where you've been and you can't behave your way into where you wanna go. It is only through the Lord Jesus Christ through whom it is a person, it is not a belief system or some just culmination of theological imperatives, but it's through a person that we have gained access and we can have peace with God. And so Paul says the first step to having peace with God, let's just come around this basic. I know it's 101, but in our culture, we're so inoculated to hearing this that most people don't know it. They think they know the message of Christmas, but it somehow relates with what I'm going to do, what I am going to ultimately move myself toward, how I'm going to make myself morally fit. And Paul says, no, no, no. If you want peace with God, it only comes through faith in Christ. You have to be reborn. You have to be entered into a new nation. You need a new passport. You need to be moved over into a new kingdom. And it, it is only going to happen on the basis of what Jesus has done for you and not what you can do to move yourself over on your own behavior or your own effort. So here's what I put in my notes, that peace with God starts with faith in Christ. In terms of the macro universal sin and the nation that you were born into that you didn't have anything to do with, the moment you say, God, I believe what you did through Jesus, who lived the life I couldn't live, died the death I should have died on the cross, walked out of a grave alive three days later, and I realize I cannot earn my way out of this or earn my way toward him, and so I am putting my faith and my trust in what he has done for me, Paul's going, that's where a relationship and peace with God starts. It starts with faith in Christ. So that's the first thing. The macro universal sin problem in the nation we were born into, peace with God at that level only starts when we place our faith and trust in Christ. But here's the other problem, the other level to peace with God. It's not just macro universal sin, it's our sin. It's your sin. There's, there's an issue, there's a conflict. If you're ever gonna experience peace on a day-to-day -day level, that has to be rectified and reconciled. So let me put it this way. If you grew up as a, I don't know why I keep, this is in the first service too, I, I phrased it as a question of whether people were a kid at some point along the way. Um, so I'm just, you were a kid. I don't know why I keep doing that. If you were a kid at any point, you were. So when you grew up as a kid, there was a point along the way where you had some kind of conflict with your parent, right? Or your guardian, or your grandparents, whoever raised you. And the conflict was, you won't, you won't let me do what I want, and so I'm ticked off. Like, I'm mad. And as a kid, the problem was always with our parents. Because we thought, listen, if you would just 
do what I want. The problem that we have here, the, the conflict that we have here is that you won't say yes to what I want. And so if you would say yes to what I want, we would have peace, right? And then on the flip side, as a parent, you're going, yeah, if I said yes to what you want, we would have peace now and you would have a train wreck later, right? And so as a parent, you've got to decide. Am I going to opt for peace now when I know that I may set them up with a whole lot of problems later, or am I gonna come in and potentially even destroy the peace now because I want something better for you later? It, it, this is the, the hardest thing, man. When I walk in to the room of specifically my oldest, and I know that I've gotta deal with something, like the worst feeling in the world is to walk into that room and sit on her bedside and know that what I'm about to do is going to destroy our peace momentarily. It's gonna wreck our peace. She is not gonna love me for a little bit. In fact, if it's bad enough, it's gonna be three days of how she likes mommy better than daddy. Like that's, that's the level that we're getting to. And I know when I walk in that, that that's gonna happen and I have to decide in that moment, am I going to do what is best for them or am I gonna do what's best for me? And am I willing to wreck the peace in the moment in order to lead them where I know they need to be later and what is going to be best for them? Or am I gonna make peace now and then lead them to a place where they're gonna have a whole lot of problems later? And in the scripture, it talks about the fact that if you place your faith and trust in Christ, do what I just talked about at a macro sin level to, to reconcile that relationship, that you have now been invited into a relationship with God where you can call God Heavenly Father. And just like a good parent loves you too much to just go along with what you want, you have a perfect, not your maybe jacked up father, a perfect heavenly father who loves you too much to simply go along with what you want. And so every once in a while, and, and I, I think we know this, every once in a while he's going to light up your conscience. Every once in a while, he's going to lead you to a place where he unearths the tension between what you are pursuing and the fact that you don't have peace. Every once in a while, he's going to connect the dots for you to go, hey, this thing, this deal that you're going after, this thing that you're trading in for, this thing that you're, going, you're pursuing, this is why you don't have peace. This is why I'm lighting up your conscience. This is why I'm bringing this angst to the surface. And so Jesus said in the New Testament, listen, I want you to view God as a perfect heavenly father. And we know that God is spirit and he's not actually a man and, and all of those things, but it's as if God came down to go, okay, I want to accommodate your capacity, just like you do for a kid. At seven years old, how I describe how babies are made and where they come from is different than how I describe it at 12, right? Not because like I'm lying, but because I need to accommodate their capacity at that age. And Jesus is going, listen, for you finite are not gonna understand everything who can never fully grasp the majesty and the greatness of God. I wanna come to your level. And I just want you to picture God as a perfect heavenly father, a perfect heavenly father that sometimes says no to you because he loves you too much, knowing that you are going to turn your back on him and you are going to wreck your peace with him. But like a great heavenly father, he is not going to turn his back on you because the moment you turn around and move in his direction, there will be peace. And the thing that he wants more than anything else is peace with you. It's as if Jesus is going, come on, do you know the level that I went to to make this happen? Do you know that what I gave up, do you know what I sacrificed? Do you know what it took to condescend into human flesh, to become like you, to live the perfect life that you could not live, and then open the door to invitation where you could embrace me as your savior, knowing that you were gonna turn your back on me and head toward the kingdom of darkness again, but that I would never turn my back on you because I do not disinherit my kids. Because I'm a perfect, heavenly father. And so John comes along. And this is where I want to tie this together with where we were at last week. And I want you to see it in a different context. John, who spent time with Jesus, and we looked at these verses, says this about peace with God as a Jesus follower. And here's what he writes. If we claim to have fellowship, and literally the word is peace. If we claim to have peace with God and yet walk in darkness, 
like live in the kingdom of darkness, decide to take steps back toward darkness, we, we lie. We, if we pretend that we are cool with God but are walking in darkness, then we're lying to ourselves and we do not live out the truth. John's like, man, I know you, you intend to do stuff. I know you sit in a seat like this. I know there's certain things that you check off the list. I know you feel stuff every once in a while and it feels religious and feels spiritual. And, and I know that you believe certain things, but if you are still walking back into the kingdom of darkness and thinking that you are okay with God and that you are gonna have peace with God, you are lying to yourself. Don't lie to you. If God's going, I want A for you. I want you to move in this direction. I want you to say yes. I want you to step out in faith and you willfully and willfully willingly don't do it. John's like, you're not at peace with God. And the problem is not with God. It's with you. That you have chosen to turn your back and walk the other direction. Then John just keeps rolling. And whoever claims to love God, we looked at this last week, and yet hates his brother or sister, he's a liar, which nobody admits to. It's just, I don't want to talk to them. And if I had a button and I could push it and they disappear, I would do that. But I don't know if I really hate them. John's going, no, you're kidding yourself. You don't have peace with God and you don't have peace with others. And ultimately, you're not going to have peace with you. And he says, for whoever does not love their brother or sister whom they've seen, so strong, they cannot, they cannot love God whom they haven't seen. However you define it, because I know nobody uses the word hate, but you can't hate and hurt others. We looked at that you can't hate and marginalize. You can't hate and mistreat. You can't hate and ignore. That's maybe a better word for a lot of us. You can't hate and hurt others and have peace with God. You can't hate and hurt others and have peace with you. You can't hate and hurt others and have peace with others. You can't hate and hurt others and have peace. And you may have peace at a macro level. There may be salvation, like you've entered into his family and nothing's ever gonna lead you to a place where you're not gonna be his kid, you're not gonna be his son, you're not gonna be his daughter. That macro level sin problem has been eradicated if you have placed your faith and trust in him. But in terms of peace with God on a day-to-day -day level, you can't hate and hurt others and experience peace. You can't do the very thing that is at the epicenter of this movement until you settle peace with God that ultimately leads to peace with yourself and moves you to a place where you can make peace with others, that you can legitimately ask the question, what does love demand of me? But until there's peace with you and until there's peace with him, you're never really gonna have peace with anybody else around you. And so John says, this, this is the first step. Paul says, this, this is what it means to begin to pursue and move into a relationship that is characterized by peace regardless of what is going on around you. And so peace with God, to summarize, it starts with faith in Christ. I just wanna nail this down because there's so many mixed messages and this thing gets so diluted and so unnecessarily complicated and the scripture is so clear, you cannot behave your way out of one nation and into another one. You cannot do it on your own. You have to be reborn. It's on the basis of what God has done for you in Christ to say, God, I'm gonna transfer my trust to realize I cannot behave my way into it any longer. Instead, I'm trusting what you did to die on the cross and then walk out alive. And in this moment, all of my weight, all of my faith, all of my trust is in you to rectify this relationship and give me peace and forgive me of my sins. Peace with God starts with faith in Christ. But here's the thing I know for a lot of us, this isn't our issue. I mean, for some of us, it is. We, we had in the first service multiple people who for the first time placed their faith and trust in Christ. But for a lot of us, this isn't the issue. For a lot of us, the issue is our disobedience as God defines it. And there's nothing that's gonna undo your relationship with him. But you have, even though positionally you're a part of the kingdom of his son, you're forgiven. You have peace with God in terms of you're a part of his family. You've been reborn. You're not experiencing peace because you've turned your back and you've moved back toward the kingdom of darkness. You've stiff-armed what God wants for your life. And the starting place is to come to realize that, yeah, peace with God starts with faith in Christ, but peace with God is sustained by submission mission to Christ in terms of the experience of the day-to-day -to, -day to go, I'm not going to turn my back any longer. 
And so for some of you, this is what this looks like. It looks like you figuratively or maybe literally throwing your hands up to go, I know God is leading me to do this. I know God is leading me to go toward her. I know God is leading me to extend grace toward them. I know God is leading me to say yes to this. And it starts with throwing up your hands to go, this is hard and I don't know the outcome on the other side and God, I don't know what you're doing and I can't connect all the dots because I'm not you and I don't know how this is gonna work out and I'm a little bit fearful, but yes, who am I, who am I to wreck my peace with you, to wreck my peace with the God of the universe? And so in this moment, whatever A is, whatever B is, whatever that path is, whatever that conversation that needs to be had, whatever that thing is where you need to extend forgiveness, extend grace, move in their direction, set down this habit, get help, move into counseling, admit it to them, whatever it is for me to maintain the experience of peace with Christ to where I go to bed and chaos may be moving in around me, but I know that I'm good with God because I've obeyed him to the best of my ability and I am at peace. And it only happens when you surrender to say yes, whatever it is, yes, yes. So my question is this, are you at peace with God? Are you at peace with God and have you made peace with God? Have you made peace with God in terms of that initial transfer of trust to say, I want a relationship with the God of the universe? Have you made peace with God? And are you, are you at peace with God? Are you experiencing peace with the God of the universe? Which ultimately is characterized by peace with you. Are you okay with you? And peace with the other people around you. A couple years ago, um, I had this issue, and I'm starting to be hesitant to tell these stories because there seems to be so many of them, but um, where I lost my daughter for a short amount of time. And, and you, you've had those things, and like that happens fairly often, or at least it does in the Golden household, but um, generally it's not panic-worthy. Like You find them pretty quickly. You, know, you sort it out. And then every once in a while, if you've ever had this, and maybe I should have you raise my hand, raise your hand so you don't, don't leave me up here, but where you've lost your kid for... Um, like where it starts to get on like four or five minutes and by that time like you're you're trying to push the freak out don't go crazy but it's rising to the surface actually has anybody done that can you just a couple of you lie okay i really needed that honestly i needed to know people were with me um and so i couldn't find brooke i didn't know i didn't know where she was at and uh, i think moms freak out a lot quicker so that's like zero to 60 in about 17 seconds and and you know, dad, you're trying to you're trying to maintain your chill and be okay. It's like, oh, we'll find her, we'll find her. But it was one of those times where it, it went on a few minutes. We were in a townhouse at the time, so it should have been easy to find her, but I like we weren't sure if she went outside. There was a door it was left open in the back, and so she's about three, so we're scrambling around and then after a while I just start yelling. I mean, like, Brooke, where are you? Brooke, where are you? Brooke, daddy's looking for you. Brooke, daddy's looking for you. Brooke, daddy. And it just gets louder and louder and louder. And you're trying to maintain semblance of cool, but it's just not happening. And so this went on for, I mean, it felt like 30 minutes. I don't think it was. It was probably three minutes, but it was enough to where there's a little bit of panic of like, where in the world is she? And so I just keep yelling. And so it, I don't know how many times it felt like about 30, 40 times, Brooke, daddy's looking for you. And she's like three years old. And she's got that soft, sweet little voice. And about the 30th time, I'm like, Brooke, daddy's looking for you. I just hear a little, I'm not looking for daddy. <laughs> and she got outside and she was hiding behind this little playhouse thing. And, and do you know what my reaction was immediately? It wasn't anger. It was relief. <laughs> For some of you, it's the best way I could put it. Your daddy's looking for you, but you're not looking for him. And he'll never turn his back on you. No matter how many times you've dabbled in the kingdom of darkness, whatever that looks like. No matter how many times you've turned your back and run the other direction. And this is the gospel, this is the good news. I don't know what was done to you in the name of Jesus. If I can just be straight, I don't know what your church experience is. It's all over the map. 
But I'm just gonna tell you not on the authority of me, but on the authority of scriptures and what is revealed through history, that is the heart of your heavenly father. That no matter how many times you have turned your back on him, no matter how many times you have moved the other direction, no matter how many times you have tried to jump back into that old kingdom, he has never abandoned you. His arms are open wide and the moment you turn back in his direction, there will be peace. And the offer to you, no matter where you are, is that there can be freedom and there there can be reconciliation in this relationship. And all you have to do is turn in his direction. And I love just to move to these one more time with the angels who had no idea the ramifications of this when they said it. Today in the town of David, a savior, we need a rescuer. We can't behave our way into it. A savior has been born to you. And he is the Messiah, the Lord and glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. They had no idea how far and wide this would spread and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. Here's what shepherds could not understand. The marginalized and on the outside of the religious establishment, and I don't have time to explain, but the fact that that line, peace on whom his favor rests, they had no idea how that would be articulated in the days ahead because what the scripture says is that every single person who recognizes sin at that macro level and doesn't try to behave their way into a relationship with God, but trusts in him by faith, the moment they transfer their trust, the moment that they do that, they become a child of God, a son, a daughter of God, they are forgiven. And regardless of what they have done since that day and since that moment, God's favor rests on them. Because it's on the basis of what God has done, not what you've done. It's on the basis of his promise, not your promise. It's on the basis of his behavior and not your behavior. And so have you made peace with God? And are you at peace with God? And I I gotta close, but can I just, this is the question that's crazy that I don't understand about myself, but what and whom is so important that you would allow it to wreck your peace with God? What or who is so valuable that it would get in the way of your peace with God? Because here, just cold hard reality is what I know. For some of you, what you have pursued and the person you have allowed to get in the way is not even going to be in your life in another year or two years or three years, but you have traded it for peace with God. What, who is worthy of you trading your peace with him? That you would move to a place where because of her, because of him, because of that thing that you're going after, because of that thing that you think you need, that you would trade your peace with God and ultimately you would sabotage your peace with yourself and you would keep you from making peace with other people around you, which I'm telling you is the essence of fulfillment until Jesus takes you home. What's so valuable? So... Have you made peace? Have you entered into that relationship? And, and are you at peace? And I'm telling you, I gotta stop, but there is nothing more valuable in the midst of the chaos and the being hurt, stabbed in the back, things that you're wrestling with, people that you don't understand, decisions you don't know how they're gonna work out, what, what God's doing in the next season. But, You cannot overstate what happens when you are willing to just obey as God has defined it and trust him with the outcome to be able to lay in bed and stare up at the ceiling at night to go, God, I don't know what you're doing and I don't know where this is gonna lead, but I'm at peace. So are you at peace and have you made peace? And would you bow your heads, close your eyes all over the house? And for some of you, you, you've entered into relationship with Jesus, but you're not at peace and you've hated this message. And so I, I don't know what it is. I'm just gonna allow the spirit of God to move and work in your heart and your life. And I'm praying for something in this moment that is beyond what we settle for in church world. That's just become the mundane week in, week out where We have momentary feelings of some kind of spiritual progress, but we don't do anything. So I'm just praying that in a real way, and this is the best time to do it, that God would move in your heart and whatever you have traded, 
with his courage and power, you'd be able to let go of it. For some of you, it's to extend grace, it's to offer forgiveness, it's to say no to a decision, it's to say no to a person, it's to draw a boundary, it's to say yes to what you have been resisting and stiff-arming. And you know, and you don't even need a verse. What does love demand of you? And that will be the doorway for you beginning to experience peace with your heavenly Father again. And then for some of you, you've never made peace with God. There's never been that moment where you have entered into a relationship with the God of the universe through Jesus. And so I just want to give you this opportunity. I say this all the time. A prayer doesn't save you. In fact, the words don't even matter. It's your declaration of faith and trust. But you can pray this prayer after me with heads bowed and eyes closed to just transfer your trust, recognizing today you cannot behave your way out of the nation of sin that you were born into. And you cannot behave your way into the nation and kingdom of God through Jesus. And so in this moment, you can pray this after me if you're online or if you're in the house, and then we'll close. Jesus, I believe you're God. I believe that you lived the perfect life that I couldn't live. And that you died on the cross for all my sins. And I believe that three days later you rose again. And right now I'm not trusting my behavior any longer. I'm trusting what you have done for me. Would you forgive me? Would you save me? With heads bowed and eyes closed, if that's you today for the first time through trust, you made peace with God to enter into a relationship with him. Would you just lift up your hand? like other people already today, and just say, today was my day to enter into a relationship of trust. Just lift up your hand if that's you. Awesome. If you just leave it up for one second, we have some ushers that want to get a card into your hand, and you can choose what you want to do with that, but if you'd fill it out and go to Connect Point, we have a pastor there who'd love to pray with you, answer any questions if you want that, but we would love to give you a Bible with information about this journey, and, and even that first step that doesn't save you or make you more spiritual, but that first step of obedience to go public through baptism to say, God has done something in my life. I've made peace with God through trust. So if anybody else, just, just lift up your hand, put a card in your hand. You can choose what you want to do with that, but all over the house. And we're over a little bit, but I want to give a little margin and room for the Spirit of God to work, and we're going to close out in a song. And so if you could just remain here in respect for what God's doing in the hearts and lives of people maybe even around you. Jesus, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your love. We thank you that already today we're seeing multiple people for the first time have their eternities reconciled and turned around forever to enter into relationship of peace with God. I pray that those of us who have a relationship and there is something that we have traded, that this would be the day, this would be the moment that God, we would just surrender and throw up our hands. And so we ask and we pray this and we celebrate what you've done in the incredible name of Jesus. Amen. Would you guys stand together and as the band is about to lead us out, would you put your hands together and celebrate those who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ?